0: A few minutes ago, we watched as name after name appeared upon the field of poppies on our overhead screen. And having looked at that list, we stood in silence to remember those men and women from our own community who were prepared to risk life and limb on the battlefield. But war is always about so much more than soldiering. War unleashes terrible suffering for the many ordinary people who get caught up in the conflict against their will we ought to know that as well as anyone having lived through a war in northern ireland i hope too that the story of chris's grandparents and father showed you how when war erupts between nations those who least deserve it can end up being punished and tragedy can spread its tentacles into the life and happiness of any family circle If Chris has told you about his family, I'd like to tell you very briefly about a member of mine. You will see his face on the screen. John Martin was 17 when he went off to the Great War with the Ulster Division, and for nearly four years he survived the horrors of the trenches, but in March 1918 was captured by the enemy. In contravention of the Hague Convention, which sought to humanize the inhumane craft of war by granting rights to captured soldiers, John was forced to work long hours with meager rations in a German cookhouse, perilously close to the front line. His life came to an end in June when Allied airplanes dropped bombs on the building where he was working and he became a victim of what we now know as friendly fire. I have visited France and seen the graveyard where John was buried in a service presided over in German by a Lutheran pastor. I laid a flower at the tomb of my great uncle, the victim of a war crime. I often think of the circumstances of his death reduced to forced labor, thin and weary, unprotected by the last rudiments of international justice. Hungry, tired, and abandoned. And his maltreatment and abandonment makes me see my great uncle and the thousands of other Allied Great War prisoners who were similarly dealt with as forerunners of other victims of war in the century that lay ahead. And I think, too, of all the crimes that warlike nations perpetrate besides death on the battlefield. When Nazi Germany launched into its headlong pursuit of militarism from 1933 onwards, these were the results. A society where the police could arrest anyone at any time, imprison, interrogate, and abuse them. A society so cranked up with fear and hate that German neighbor betrayed Jewish neighbor. A land where diversity and dissent were censored where crowds were encouraged to trash Jewish businesses and lynch socialist citizens, where all the probity you might expect from religious, legal, and political authorities would be compromised as much of the church bowed to Hitler. Show trials made mockery of justice and sovereign rule passed into the hands of one man. A society where difference was criminalized and human beings would be reduced to bare life placed behind wire in camps, stripped of possessions and identity, small figures in the huge statistics of death. So in what ways does the Jesus story speak into these terrible narratives? I believe that it speaks with remarkable relevance and precision. For as we read the stories of Christ's passion, such as the one that was read to us by June Papp, we find that our Lord experienced in full measure the horrors visited on the innocent in regimes that are bent on servitude and war. For one thing, did you notice, the Passion narrative focuses in John chapter 18, for example, on the fact that Jesus suffered a betrayal. Verse 3 tells us that Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police and they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. In a small country militarized by imperial rule, one of Jesus' inner circle had decided to collaborate. Later in the chapter, we get a sense that this is a society where espionage and fear are everywhere, as we witness Peter being watched and probed by a stranger for his regime loyalty while standing warming himself at a fire. The passion story also shows Jesus suffering the powerlessness of a man who has suddenly fallen into the hands of a brutal state militia, under whose control he suffers the loss of his physical freedom. Verse 12 tells us that the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. And later in verse 22, we learn that Jesus, when he fails to be cowed by the questioning of Caiaphas, suffers a punishment beating. One of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And then Christ is bound once more and sent under armed guard to Pilate, where he experiences more physical and emotional abuse. As the 18th chapter unfolds, we learn that Jesus' views, his teachings, his movements, and his kingdom project are being interrogated and about to be ultimately censored. In verse 19, the high priest ruthlessly questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teachings. In the passage where our Lord is handed over to Pilate, we see the process of criminalization that will eventually lead to him being nailed on a cross. Verse 29 explains that Pilate went to those who had brought him from Caiaphas and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered, If this man were not a criminal... We would not have handed him over to you. The process of criminalizing an innocent man rapidly develops as Jesus is placed in the balance with Barabbas, the well-known bandit. The story of the Passion is also the story of a carefully used mob frenzy, of a crowd whipped up into further fury by Pilate's public dialogue with them, in which they end up baying for Jesus' blood and bellowing repeatedly, crucify him! And it's a story where all the guardians of probity, religious, legal, military, and political, conspire to destroy Christ rather than defend his rights and his dignity. Rejected by the high priest, subjected to a show trial, brutalized and mocked by police and soldiers, abandoned to his fate by the governor, even though that governor in verse 38 can find no case against him. Eventually, as the chapter proceeds, we see Christ flogged in verse 1, mocked and sadistically wounded in verse 2, while wearing a crown of thorns and dressed in a purple robe, then yelled at and beaten in verse 3, where we learn how they kept coming up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. We watch Christ forced to participate in his own execution, just as so many of war's victims have been ordered to dig their own graves carrying his own cross down the streets towards Golgotha. And finally, he's executed in the most humiliating public circumstances, stripped, stripped down to bare life, as were the victims of Hitler's camps, his last possessions, his clothes taken from him and divided among the soldiers who had tortured him. Jesus finally expires surmounted by an inscription that mocks his holy aspirations and his Davidic descent. An inscription was that our Lord's very own Star of David. And so as we try hard today to pay attention for an hour or so to all those people who have suffered from war and oppression in our times, Let us recognize that in the Jesus of the four Gospels, we have a Savior who is appropriate for Remembrance Sunday. A Savior for the barbaric times in which we have lived. For he's been through the very worst that barbarism brings. Not only that, in his suffering and death as an innocent victim, he was, as God's own Son on earth, identifying with the suffering of all victims and confronting the sin of the perpetrators and so beginning the work of reconciling a fallen warlike world to God himself I think it's suitable for us to recall on this remembrance day the prophetic words about Jesus in Isaiah 53 let me read them to you he had not former majesty that we should look at him he was despised and rejected of others a man of suffering one from whom others hid their faces. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. He was oppressed and afflicted, but did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearer is dumb. by a perversion of justice he was taken away. He was cut off from the land of the living, although he had done no violence. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He poured himself out to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Years later in the New Testament, we would see how the man spoken of here experiences degradation. Judas will betray him, his followers desert him, the Sanhedrin give him up to Pilate, and Pilate in turn to the mob who finally give him over for a Roman execution. And there we will recognize how the cross of Christ exposes arbitrary power and the violence to which it always leads. For us, Jesus died the unjust death that in our warlike times any of us might possibly have died had we been in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong identity in the passion narrative god finds no place within society cast out abandoned on all sides in the calvary story we see that god wholly identifies with all the victims of barbarism and war and we find out that he is available to anyone who seeks his love, his healing, and his mercy. On Remembrance Day, I feel glad that I do not follow a Buddha, calm in his meditative repose, but a Christ whose repose was one of agony executed by soldiers. On Remembrance Sunday, more than any other day of the year, I feel glad, and I hope you do too, To follow, however falteringly, our Lord Jesus. Amen.